with THX. And uh, so this morning we're going to get into Ephesians chapter 3. We've been in this series for several months. Uh, we we uh, began looking at Ephesians, gosh, several months ago. Um, and we're, we're calling this series A Church Alive, I think. <laughs> I think that's what the graphic says. But A Church Alive, because Ephesians is about the gospel and what it means for us to receive the good news of Jesus in our lives. And then as we receive that, says in at the end of, of chapter two, it says, in him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So as we receive the gospel, God is developing us, building us into this spiritual house for a purpose. He's developing, developing us as a church to be fully alive on mission for him. And so um, actually we started, the, we started Ephesians and... Um, it, my, my family was given an opportunity this summer to go on a sabbatical. After uh, you know, 15 years in full-time ministry, uh, eight, eight years here at Outward, um, eight of those years here at Outward, um, it was given a, a, an opportunity to take, take some time to rest. And so we took this summer uh, as a family to, to just kind of unplug, unwind uh, from, from the work of ministry, hand the, that burden of ministry off to, uh, to some other folks who led incredibly well. Um, and so just very thankful, just had, had just a, a great time with family. We were able to take some opportunities to travel and do some different things, but ultimately just took some time to rest. And so I left, um, I left uh, right as we were starting Ephesians and I, we came back to visit, I don't know, about halfway through uh, the three months and thought, you know, surely they're gonna be, you know, fairly well into Ephesians by this point. And I think they were maybe on verse 10 of chapter 1 after about six weeks. Uh, like, oh, there's, there's a lot of richness in this book, right? It is jam-packed with goodness uh, for our life as Christians and for our understanding of who we are called to be as the church. And so we're taking our time through Ephesians, which is okay. It's, it's good because there's so much here. And so we find ourselves in chapter 3, and Paul is talking about God's plan. Now, I don't know if you feel, uh, as you look at the world today, that, you, that, that it feels like it might be spinning a little out of control. I don't know if you feel this. Um, but uh, if, you know, you, you hear, you hear uh, if, if you spend any time in the news, right, you're, you're hearing concerns and fears of a, of a recession looming. You hear uh, people talking about the probabilities of nuclear war. Uh, we, we see kind of a, an, an increasing uh, moral degradation in, in our schools and in, and in culture, the things that are being held up as moral and good and right. Even, even things like climate change and like what, what is happening with our environment. It seems like you know, these big disasters happening all the time. There are things that as we look at our world, we say, what seems to be happening? Is, is there a plan? Is, is anyone in charge of this thing? What's going on? And Paul reminds us here that God has a plan and he's revealing it to us. I'm going to skip to, to the end of verse 9. It says, the, the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things 
This is the God that we worship. The, the God we worship is, uh, is not a distant God who is just sitting there watching, observing as things happen in our world. Uh, he, he's not an impotent God who is unable to intervene. But no, he, he is a sovereign God with a plan. God has a plan. And, and this is why we can come together and we can sing and we can rejoice with hope in the midst of our circumstances because our God has a plan. And he has been unveiling this plan. He's been revealing his plan to us. And you and I get to play a part in the story of God's plan. So, Paul's reflecting on this plan and his particular role in it. And so in verse 7 of chapter 3, he writes this. Of, the, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Of this gospel. So in the context of God's plan, Paul has just spent the last two chapters uh, expanding on the, the, the good news of the gospel, the work that Christ has done for us, right? He's kind of given us this glorious understanding of how we are saved. It says in, in chapter two, uh, or in chapter one, we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In chapter two, for his grace you have been saved through faith, this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And you see over and over, just like I said, the richness of this, of this book, the, the, the glory of the salvation we've received. And, and so Paul says, of this gospel, of, of this amazing good news, I was made a minister. And, and we see Paul shifting his focus in the book. The, the first couple chapters have been about what we've received. We're starting to see a, a shift here as into, okay, now what are we to do with this? What, what are we to make of what we've received? How are we to live this out in community with each other and in the world? And, and so he, he starts to make this shift, but as he makes this shift, he, as he makes this shift, he, he reflects. He kind of stops and, and he says, um, this is what it's all about, essentially. What's the, what's the big picture here? And he kind of goes back to this idea of looking at what we've received. But did you notice that, uh, if you were here last week, you noticed that Paul is writing this from in prison? He's, he's not writing this from a place of comfort. He's not writing this from uh, a place of having things figured or, or, or you know, go easy for him. He, he's writing this from a place of suffering. Um, which reminds us something. I think it reminds us that our circumstances don't dictate for us the, the glorious realities of, of the gospel. Paul's writing this from a place uh, that he did not want to be in, but it doesn't stop him from glorying in the gospel. And, and for you and I, I think sometimes we feel that uh, if, we, if we accept what God has for us, if we step into his salvation and the life he's calling us to, um, that, that sometimes our troubles will go away, that we will uh, somehow escape suffering. 
and, and we see here and we're reminded here that uh, in fact it's, it's often in the suffering and, and through the suffering that the, the, the clarity of God's goodness is seen and is, is experienced. And so Paul, Paul writes from this and, and I think we see that he's writing from a place of number one, awe at this plan that God has. You, Paul is able to see through the suffering. He's able to see through his circumstance to the plan and he's humbled. Look at what he says in verse eight. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul refers to himself as the very least of the saints. There's, there's an aspect of humility in Paul's writing Tara Lee Cobble is the, the host of the Bible Recap podcast. She's actually going to be at the women's event here shortly, uh, which you'll hear more about later. Um, but she, she points something out. If you look at the, at the writings of Paul, if you look at his letters chronologically and kind of from where he starts to where he ends up, uh, in his early letters, Paul refers to himself as an apostle. And then in some of his later writings, he refers to himself as the least of the apostles. Here we see him refer to himself as the very least of all the saints. And later on, in some of his later writings, he refers to himself as the greatest of sinners, or the chief of sinners. Humility is essential to receiving the gospel. And one of the things that we see in Paul is as we grow deeper in Christ, as we move further into an understanding of his salvation and the depth of love he has for us, that doesn't move us towards being puffed up. It doesn't move us towards thinking more highly of ourselves than we should but it moves us toward greater humility. We become more aware of our sin. We become more aware of just how unworthy we are of what God has done for us. Now, this is not self-deprecating. We're not talking about, uh, you know, oh, I am so bad, I'm a terrible person, right? This is not what we're talking about. This is not what the gospel does. But what the gospel leads us to is a, a, a joy-filled humility that recognizes I am a great sinner, but God is a greater Savior. This is the trajectory of the Christian life. More into humility, which leads us into greater worship. How do you see yourself in relation to the gospel? Do you, do you see yourself as, as having received something that you didn't deserve? I think, I think sometimes there's this, uh, this sense that we can, that we can um, in Christian culture, uh, we can kind of adopt this idea that I'm proud to be a Christian, right? Which is kind of a weird way of thinking about it. Uh, because what, what did you do? <laughs> like, how did you become a Christian? Uh, this is not something that we have done. In, in fact, it's in spite of all of our best efforts that God says, no, I'm, I'm gonna save you. I'm gonna choose you. I'm gonna call you one of my own. 
There's, there's not uh, any sort of inherited um, in, uh, right to salvation. There's no physical pedigree or, or uh, something that says, oh, I'm, I'm more worthy than the next person. We're all in this together. My, uh, I've, I've, been, I've had some pain in, in my shoulder for a little while. Uh, I've seen the doctor about it a couple times and, and it's just kind of persisted. And so uh, recently he, he said, decided, hey, you should probably get some imaging done, do some x-rays and that sort of thing, just to try to get to the bottom of, of what's going on. Um, well, let me give you a little bit more context. Um, one of, over the course of our marriage, one of the things that my wife has, has let me know that she appreciates about me is, is my shoulders. Um, I'm, she's not embarrassed by this at all. It's, it's totally fine. Um, she, you know, I'll, give her, I'll wrap her up in a big hug, and she says, I just feel so like, protected and, and, and safe in your shoulder. And I, who am I to disagree with my wife? She has good, she has good judgment. And so I'm, it, you probably shouldn't talk about your physical appearance uh, from the stage in a sermon. Um, but I, my, I, I didn't go to school for preaching. Uh, my degree's in music, so here we are. So I apologize. Just don't, don't make it weird. Um, but uh, anyway, so, so this is my wife, you know, she, she has, she has uh, good insight into things. And so I don't go around thinking that my shoulders are better than the average shoulders, but maybe to her. Um, so I, I go to the doctor, and uh, they take this ultrasound of my shoulder this last week, and I get the results back. And uh, I'm, I'm looking this thing over, and at the top of the result page, it says, right shoulder, unremarkable. <laughs> oh, I'm going to cut down a little bit. Unremarkable. My, my wife would like to have a word, Mr. Ultrasound Tech. Um, but you and I are, are unremarkable when it comes to our salvation, right? We can think of ourselves as being somehow worthy or somehow having earned what God has given to us. And Paul reminds us, no, the, the, proper, the proper place for the Christian is to recognize I'm, I'm the chief of sinners here. I'm, I'm the least. Uh, and, and somehow God in his, in his grace has bestowed his blessing on me. And so Paul receives the gospel with humility and, and he goes into kind of, again, reflecting on what his experience has been and, and he reflects on what God has specifically called him into. And he says, I was made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, and here it is, to preach to the Gentiles. This is Paul's specific calling, right? This is, this is Paul's specific kind of apostolic calling. And, and I think one of the things that we can gain from this is God calls us to specific things. There are, there are unique talents he has given you. There are unique passions, personality traits. God has wired you in some specific ways. And so have you sought out where he might be specifically calling you to? Have you, have you invited the Holy Spirit? Hey, lead me into areas where I can be used for God's glory. And so for Paul, the, the specific calling 
is to the Gentiles. Now, if that's an unfamiliar term to you, uh, basically this just means anyone who is not Jewish. And, and so as Christianity was being spread in the early days of the church, uh, the, the story of God had been essentially held by the Jews uh, throughout Scripture, we see this picture of God setting apart this people for himself as, as the ones who are going to be the, the keepers and the bearers, the proclaimers of God. And, and so as the church began to spread, as Christianity began to take root, there's a specific message that God says, and it says, okay, this message is not just for the Jews. This is for Gentiles as well. And so Paul realizes and, and God calls Paul in a very specific way to this. You are going to be one of my chosen instruments to help preach the good news to the Gentiles. And so this is Paul's particular calling. He says the grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. Our, our callings and our gifts, the things that God calls us into, are our graces. Do we see them as that? Do we see them as this is something that, um, again, I am not so good at this, so I'm going to do this, but God has given me this, this burden to, to minister in this way. God has given me uh, this, this pull. I can't escape it. God's saying, you need to do this. Are you listening for that? Do you see this as a grace? And what is it that Paul is preaching? And in, 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 my, in my mind, the, the passage we're looking at today culminates here. He says, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. What, what a phrase. What, what, a, what a way of describing what we've found in our salvation, the unsearchable riches of Christ. I, I thought it would be helpful to start by, you know, maybe clarifying a little bit what is not meant by this term unsearchable, because uh, it's not a term that we probably use very often, and, and rightly so, because I think that it uniquely applies to the type of riches that we find in Jesus. And so what, what does unsearchable not mean? Um, and, and I have a bunch of scriptures here. They're not going to be on the screens. I'm just going to kind of read these off to you. Um, feel free to write them down and look at them later if you want. But uh, unsearchable does not mean unknowable. Okay, so when we talk about the unsearchable riches of Christ, it doesn't equate not being able to know Christ Philippians 3.10 says that I may know him, that I may know Christ, and the power of his resurrection. John 17.3 says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John 10.14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. In 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If we can grow in the knowledge of Jesus, then by definition, that means we can know Christ. So because his riches are unsearchable does not mean that he is unknowable. Second, uh, unsearchable does not mean unapproachable. It doesn't mean that God somehow sits in this other realm 
uh, that is just beyond our ability to understand, our ability to uh, access. In, in Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace. James 4.8 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Ephesians 2, 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God is not sitting on some throne far off in a way that prevents us from approaching him. Unsearchable does not equate to unapproachable. And last, the last thing that unsearchable does not mean is unbelievable. Sometimes we think of something being so fantastic and so amazing that it just, it, it, we, we move it into this fantasy realm, right? There's no way this could actually be true. This is not what we see in scripture. Psalm 34, eight says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. We can taste God, we can know that this is real. Proverbs 14, 26 says, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. And Hebrews 11, 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When we speak of the unsearchable riches of Christ, we're not saying that he is, is a God who is unknowable. We're not saying he's a God who's unapproachable or unbelievable. No, he's all of these things. So what, what is meant uh, when, when Paul speaks of Jesus in this way is the unsearchable riches of Christ. Well, picture, picture this. I, if you've ever been uh, on, on a boat in the ocean looking down in the water, uh, you, you, you see a little bit, right? You can see a little bit of the water. But, but it, once you go below the surface, you begin to see a little bit more. And, and as you dive further down, you begin to see more and more things that you had no idea even existed on the surface. And, and so I, I suspect that when Paul is talking about Jesus in this way, unsearchable riches, he, he's intending that kind of an understanding, right? When we come to Jesus, we experience all kinds of good things. But he is never going to run out of good things. He is sufficient for a lifetime of seeking him, following him, knowing and discovering who he is and what he has for our life. He's, he's unsearchable. He's never gonna be, his riches will never be exhausted. There's no bottom to this ocean, right? We just keep diving further and further down. And so Paul's calling is to preach this Jesus, a Jesus who is unsearchable in his riches. And, and, and so our calling as well is to look at Jesus and understand him in this light. 
Now you see, we can get this wrong uh, in our personal lives as well as in the church because um, I think we misunderstand what, what, what the purpose is um, of, of our mission and our evangelism. You see, I think sometimes we can get a little bit distracted uh, or we can get a little bit um, preoccupied. You see, we're not called to a cause necessarily. There's lots of good organizations uh, in the world that are, um, that are chasing very good causes. We can and should get involved in these, but the primary calling of you and I in the church is not to a cause. Right? The, the world doesn't need Jesus to identify good causes. Our, our calling is, is not to an ideal. I think that there are, are a lot of uh, so-called Christian churches. Uh, you, you scratch the surface of what they're actually teaching. Um, and, and what you end up finding is it, it's just an ideal, an idealized version of what life should look like or how we should treat each other. Our calling is not to um, a worldview. It's, it's not to uh, an understanding of like philosophically what is life all about, right? What, what's our, what are we here for? There's this uh, kind of philosophical understanding. We are not called primarily to any of these things. These are not bad things, right? And there are some of us, and you know, all of us should be interacting with some of these things at various levels, but our calling is not to a cause. It's not to an ideal or a worldview. Our calling is to a person, our, our calling is to Jesus. This is why our, our church mission statement is love Jesus, live outward. Right? We're, not, we're not calling you to, to necessarily come and, and learn how to live a better life. We're calling you to come and discover a person, Jesus, whose riches are unsearchable. Maybe, and maybe, maybe this... Uh, is, is a little bit new or foreign or confusing to you. Why, why do we place such an emphasis on the person of Jesus? Well, I think it's because too often uh, many of us think we have experienced Jesus to the full, but we're just getting started. We're, we're just getting started. Uh, Dane Ortland in his book, Deeper, gives an image of, you know, I think a lot of us think that we are scuba or that we are you know diving on the bottom of the pacific ocean when in reality we're just snorkeling near the surface when it comes to jesus and just consider all of the ways that jesus contains riches for you and for me Spurgeon has a sermon where he lays some of these things out, and so I gained some of these from him. But he says, consider Jesus' love for sinners. That includes you and me. Consider Jesus is the one who pardons those who repent. This is available to us. When we repent and when we come to Jesus, he pardons us. He gives us his mercy. Jesus provides comfort 
for those who are mourning. He provides friendship and sympathy for the lonely. He provides a consistent companionship. You can confide in him and he will never let you down. In Jesus, we find depths of wisdom and insight. All of these things are discovered over the course of a lifetime of pursuing Jesus. It's not like we, we come to Jesus and we start checking these boxes. Okay, I've gotten that down about Jesus and I've gotten this down and I've got this down. Discovering the riches of Christ is a pursuit. And so if you, I want to challenge us a little bit uh, in our thinking because I, I think I do this I have a limited view of who Jesus is and what he offers for us, and so I suspect that you do as well. And, and so let me ask a couple questions here. Like, how do you view Jesus? What's, what's uh, your understanding of what he means to your life? Is he like a little moral seasoning uh, that you sprinkle in uh, just for good measure? Right? Oh, my life would just would be you know, a, little, a little bit better with, with a little Jesus in it. If, if that's the case, like, ha- have you ever submitted your life in such a way that causes you to orient your, your activities and your attitudes around Jesus, right? Is, is he peripheral to your life or he is at the center of your life? I invite you, I invite us, dive into his unsearchable riches and find him to be utterly indispensable. Are we saying, I don't want to move unless you're here, Jesus. Is that true of you? Can you sing that in faith? Or maybe, maybe, maybe there's a, a, a pattern of sin, you know, kind of a recurring struggle uh, that, you, that you've identified in your life and you say, man, I, I just can't seem to get past this. Well, have you tasted the satisfaction of being fully alive in Jesus' presence? Have you, have you tasted what it, what it feels like to experience Jesus in a way that is more compelling to you than any sin ever would be? Or maybe you're, you're someone who finds yourself caught up in news cycles and, and the noise of uh, you know, what's being uh, said in our culture. Have you, have you rested in the supernatural peace that God promises us in Christ. I invite you, dive into the riches of Jesus and and find him to be sufficient to calm those daily anxieties. Maybe you're unable to forgive someone who has wronged you, or maybe you're unable to uh, receive forgiveness yourself Maybe you feel paralyzed by crushing doubt in your life. I just can't seem to believe. Maybe you're dissatisfied with where you're at. My life has taken some turns, and where I am now is not at all where I thought I would be five years ago. And, And so there's a sense of dissatisfaction. Maybe you're feeling rejected. There's there's something that you uh were hoping for, and it's been a no. Right? Maybe you've been broken. Maybe, maybe you're experiencing hurt right now. 
tell you, the world has lots of ways, suggested ways, for dealing with these types of experiences, right? It has lots of ways of saying, here's how you deal with longing and pain. Dive into the unsearchable riches of Jesus. I love what uh, Charles Spurgeon says here about experiencing this. He says, I've had more joy in half an hour's communion with Christ than I have found in months of other comforts. I've had much to make me happy, diverse successes and smiles of providences which have cheered and comforted my heart, but they are all froth on the cup, mere bubbles, the foam of life and not its true depths of bliss. To know Christ and to be found in him, oh, this is life. This is joy, this is marrow and fatness, wine on the lees well refined. My master does not treat his servants churlishly. He gives to them as a king giveth to a king. He gives them two heavens, a heaven below in serving him here and a heaven above in delighting in him forever. You guys, our faith is about beholding Jesus, knowing this man and and we are the recipients of his riches. It's not like we're just looking at them. He gives them to us. When, when we were on sabbatical this summer, we, we took the opportunity to take a, a massive road trip. Uh, we were on the road for 28 days, um, and we crossed a lot, of, a lot of the country. We made it all the way to D.C. and spent a few days in our nation's capital. Um, and uh, we, as a part of that, that visit, we, we visited some of the Smithsonian museums that are there. Um, just saw some amazing, incredible things. And we went to the uh, museum of, uh, the American Museum of Natural History, I think is, is what it's called. Um, lots of dinosaur fossils and, and all kinds of things. Uh, but uh, they have a, an exhibit there in the museum that's, that's gems, right? All sorts of jewels and gems and stones. And at the centerpiece of this exhibit uh, is the Hope Diamond. And I don't know if, if you've heard of this. It's, it's one of the, it's not the largest diamond in the world necessarily, but it's, it's certainly one of the most famous, right? It's this 45 and a half carat uh, deep blue color diamond. And it's, it's, it's priceless, right? It, there's, there's no value that can be put on this. I mean, I think the museum, I read somewhere that they had it insured for like $300 million or something like that. But, but you know something this unique and special is, is priceless. And so we, we, we get into this room where there's a glass case in the center of the room and kind of a revolving display that the diamond is sitting on. And so everyone, you know, is crowding around and just kind of just trying to catch a glimpse of this thing as it, as it spins, right? And as you see it spin, the, the light kind of shines off it in different ways. And it's, it's pretty amazing to see. As I look at this diamond, uh, it, was, it was fascinating, but it was worthless to me. Uh, there's, there's a glass case of separation between this priceless thing and me gaining any benefit at all from it. Jesus' riches are available to you and to me. It's as if the, uh, the museum curator were to walk in to the, into the room, kind of part the crowd a little bit, go to the glass case, open it up, 
take the, the diamond out and say, here, hold out your hand. Now hold that in your hand and, and the riches of this priceless gem are now available to you. Imagine how different my life would be, right, if I suddenly was given ownership of the Hope Diamond. Uh, but we have that in Christ to, to a greater degree, to, to an eternal degree, right? The, the riches of Jesus, these unsearchable riches have been handed to us and say, here, this is for you. Take these riches. Let them shape and change your life. It's not just for now, but for eternity. We, we sang this song at the beginning this morning. It said, paradise flung wide open. He is risen, and we are risen with him. Like th this is part of what we experience in Jesus is a resurrection now, but then an eternal paradise of discovering his riches for ourselves. And so as we kind of wrap things up, I want to close by moving into verse 9 here where Paul kind of, he, he pauses and reflects on the riches we have in Jesus and then he moves into, again, what his calling is. And so he says in verse 9, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is the plan we were talking about. The unsearchable riches of Christ are the plan. We, we look at our world and we look at our lives and we think there's, there's so much that feels out of, out of whack here. Like how do we make sense of what's going on at a global scale? How do we make sense of the mess within my family or within my heart? God has been revealing the mystery of this plan to us and it's found in Christ. It's found in his unsearchable riches. And so while Paul had a specific calling to the Gentiles, we see here his, his universal calling, right? See what he says? To bring to light for everyone. This is not just for specific people or a specific group. It's for everyone. And so as we discover these unsearchable riches for ourselves, this is our calling as well. You and I share in Paul's calling. You and I share in the story of God's plan he's been writing since the beginning. The whole point of God's plan is giving, holding out the unsearchable riches of Jesus to us and to the world. 1 Corinthians 4.1 says that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. We, we, we hold this not as something to be kept in, as something to be uh, just, just that we sit with and enjoy. We steward it. We, we, we use it for its intended purpose. You're sitting here to be equipped on mission we, we, we come together weekly. We develop this rhythm, this habit of worship together. Remember what we have in Christ. Remember the, the glorious, unsearchable riches of Jesus. And then, and then we go out to, to be the church. We're going to talk more about this next week. How The church is, is part of God's plan. This is, this is what he has in mind. The church is not something that just happens in this room 
the church comes together and then we, we go to share the good news. Paul was unremarkable. My right shoulder is unremarkable. We're all unremarkable. Uh, but Jesus is unsearchable. Jesus is unsearchable.